We're in Ephesians chapter number six tonight. <coughs> We've heard a lot of preaching in the last couple of weeks. Better turn my mic on, Brother Josh. I'm sorry. We've heard a lot of preaching in the last couple of weeks about revival. And I think, I think we've seen a little. But the interesting thing about revival, I've, I've been in church all my life, literally all my life. I was in church from the, from the Sunday after I was born um, until today. And I've heard preaching about revival, Brother Johnny, all my life. I've heard preacher how to get revival, how to see revival. And I, I do not, I do not, you know me, I don't claim to be a high-quality expositor of God's Word, nor do I claim to have any kind of edge. But one of the things that I've begun to think about, Brother John, these last couple of weeks is not how do we get revival, but how do we keep it going? That's, that's, that's bothered me, Brother John. And I fought all day yesterday and all, all this morning, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And I had something, Brother John, I found something yesterday. I thought, oh, and that wasn't it. It was really good. I, I learned something new. I was like, this is, no, that's not it. And I had something else I thought, hmm, I saw this morning. I thought, that's what it is. That wasn't it either. The Lord brought me back to something that we've been working through in team group. Not from the perspective we've been looking at it for the teens, so you've got to pay attention all the through the service. I'm sorry. All right? But how, how do we maintain revival? One of the hardest things in my life is to be consistent. That's the battle of every Christian. It's the battle of every parent. It's the battle of every leader. Everybody struggles with consistency. Why? Because it's hard. And everything about us fights against consistency. And so with the Lord's help tonight, I'd like for us together to look at that idea. How to maintain revival. I, I, I love talking about revival, but I love a whole lot more experiencing revival. I love watching God move in my life. I love God saying, hey, you need to change this. It's not fun when he says it, but afterwards, Lord, thank you. And so let's do a little bit of review tonight. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll review what we've learned in the last couple of weeks, and then we'll look at how to maintain Father, would you help us tonight? Lord, you know I have no confidence outside of you. And Lord, if this, if this message you gave me is going to touch hearts, it's going to have to be you that does it, Lord. It's not me. So, Father, would you fill this place with your power? Would you speak to each heart? Father, we've seen the sprinkles of revival, but Lord, as we saying tonight, Lord, we want to see the showers. Lord, we desire for you to reign in every area of our life. So, Father, would you give me exactly what you once said and nothing more tonight? Would you use your word as you promised as a quick and powerful sword that would pierce to the point you're trying to get us to see tonight? Speak to us, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your son. Be with us now as we look into your word, we ask in Jesus' name.
Amen. So let's look at a couple of things we've learned. First of all, we've learned in the last couple of weeks what revival is. Revival tends to be, in a lot of preaching, this nebulous filling of the Holy Spirit kind of thing, where this is all of a sudden, God shows up, boom, and He's here. But that's not what the Bible says. Uh, we hear revival, oh, yes, revival, what happens? When revival happens, everybody's crying, people are waving their hands, people are running up and down, people are getting saved. That's not what the Bible says either. The Bible makes it clear that revival is when God's people decide we're going to obey God. It's that simple. It's when we come back to the, the, the truth that we saw when we came to Christ. He's God and I'm nothing. And I need to do what he's told me to do. You see, revival is obedience to what God has told us to do to allow him to work in our life. Revival is not, and the more I study God's Word, brother friends, there's very few things in God's Word that, hmm, I'm going to have to ponder on that for a while. Now, can we ponder and gain stuff? Yes. But the stuff God wants us to understand, all right, here you go, cornbread country plain. What's revival? Obey God. What's salvation? Trust, turn, and run to the only one that can save you. It's not hard. And sometimes we get so tied into, oh, I wonder if I'm doing it right. Do I have to do the same thing? I have to wear the same suit, Brother Farley, as I did last week to have revival again. That has nothing to do with it. Revival is obedience to God so he can do what he wants to do in our life. So we've learned what revival is. How does revival start? Well, it's pretty simple. We recognize how far we are from God, and we repent pastor made a statement last Sunday morning that I have heard all of my life. If today is not the day that you are the closest to God, you're backslidden. That means you need revival. As Christians, if we're not growing in Christ every day, we're backsliding. You can't hold your ground. It's not in the Bible. It's either obedience or sin. So how does revival start? It's when we say, Lord, I see. I see what I am. I see where I am, and I see where I want to be. Well, then where does revival start? You say, well, we have to have a special meeting. We've got to have the preacher come in. And once he starts preaching, buddy, revival is going to get on. Now, <laughs> where does revival start? Right here. It starts in my heart. It starts in your heart. You say, but doesn't revival happen to the church? Well, if you're talking about the church as the, the saved individuals, sure. But does it happen to us all at the same time? No. Uh-uh. We came in here Saturday morning, yesterday morning, yeah, it is yesterday. After the men's prayer breakfast, we came in and we prayed for a while. One of the things that I enjoy, and I'll say this and I'm going to get judged later at school, but I enjoy when God tears me apart, when God breaks me. It used to be embarrassing when I would cry. I'm getting to a point now I don't care anymore. I don't. I cry about stupid stuff. Brother John, we were giving one of my daughters a hard time last night. She was reading a book that I love. I remember when I read it as a kid, but the ending is not too exciting. It's kind of sad, and it tore her up. And I, I, I kind of laughed inside because I thought, I remember that. And then I thought, it's because she has a tender heart. What did God 
we had that heart when we came to God's house. Now, he can just, it, it doesn't take, brother, brother Bill, it doesn't take that sword to go, boom. It's just a little touch, and we break apart. God, whatever you want. But revival starts in my heart. Revival starts in your heart. Then when we come together, revival takes off. But it doesn't start here. Understand, it doesn't start here. Where's it start? It starts in your heart with you and God. And then we've talked a little bit about what hinders revival. And that's kind of where the impetus for this message came from. We know what hinders revival. And we could sum it up by saying us, but it's our sin. It's when we allow sin to live rent-free in God's area, where God, the Holy Spirit, should dwell. We allow sin to be there, and we don't care. It just doesn't matter to us. We also, where does sin come from? Well, it comes from we're tempted. So who tempts us? There's been a lot of debate about who is the person who tempts us. All right, the Bible says God doesn't tempt us. That's what it says. But it does say the devil tempts us. And sometimes I know myself pretty well. I don't even need the devil. My flesh can do a good enough job tempting me all on its own. And so tonight the question is, how do we maintain revival? I want to point out some things to you here in the armor of God. The armor of God was designed for the Christian to be able to stand and to be strong, not in his own might, not in his own power. What does it say in verse number 10? Look at it. Be strong in the Lord. So it's not in us. And in the power. What power? Of his might. So we're supposed to stand, but it's because God gives us the ability. And how do we do that? We don't have verse 10 without verse 11. We have to put on the armor of God. Now, it's going to be super simple for you. Remember, cornbread, country, plain. There's three areas for the armor of God, all right? Now, if you go read commentaries and all this kind of stuff, these are my three areas. I didn't get these anywhere. I made them up on my own. Well, I, God gave them to me. But these three areas, I find this, Brother John, I've, I've told the teens, I feel bad every time we're done teen group. Last, almost lasting every time. Probably should be reading your Bible every day. Hey, make sure you're reading your Bible. What's important? Right, and the teens are like, okay, Mr. Davies, we got it. But you know what I find, Brother John? I come back to it. You know what the armor of God comes back down to? This right here. What does our life for Christ come back down to? This right here. Where's revival found? Right here. Like Pastor said, stop apologizing this morning. <laughs> so I'm not going to apologize anymore for it. I want you to look at these pieces, and we're going to do our best to be aware of the time tonight. But I want, I want to look at, let's look at verse number 11 as where we'll begin. <coughs> it says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to stand against what? It does not say against the devil. Notice that. What does it say? It says that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the, the trickery, the deceit, the sneakiness of the devil. But then if we go on and read a little farther in the New Testament, we find out what is the devil compared to? A roaring lion. I've been hunting a whole lot in my life. I've been to Africa. I've heard a real lion roar. It'll scare you. Right? Just like you ever heard coyotes yelling, you're out in the woods? It's come to Jesus real quick. You get, we're ready. But you know what I found in doing a little research? Lions don't roar 
when they're stalking prey. They roar when they've won. So you mean to tell me that the devil is a roaring lion? Why? Because he's got some Christians already. But he's still looking for new ones. I just fell into sin. No, you didn't. You walked into it. You knew what you say. I wasn't paying attention. That's not the devil's fault. We're supposed to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we know he's coming. So how do we stand? We got to put on the armor of God. So what's the armor of God? I like how Paul just puts a little side note here in verse number 12. Oh, by the way, it's not your brother and sister in Christ. It's not the people you know. It's the devil you're fighting. The prince of the power of the air. All right? Verse number 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. That evil day, got news for you. According to, you, you read the Greek, Brother Earl can back me up on this. That's today. The evil day is today. It's not, oh, you mean when the Antichrist comes. When the Antichrist comes, we ain't going to be here. Sorry, Miss Collins is here, isn't here. Good. Okay. We're butchering the English tonight. So what do we need? First of all, how do we maintain revival? Living in God's Word. I want you to look at these pieces of the armor. Look at verse number 14. It says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This idea of your loins girt about with truth, it's, it's a, a buckler, a, a belt of sorts. What does this belt do? It's designed to hold everything else together. Right? You think about this in the day of Paul, Paul wrote this. He was very familiar with Roman soldiers. He had some encounters with them, we'll say. All right? um, and this belt was designed to hold their, their, essentially their robe together. Right? They wore a tunic, which is like if you had a trash bag made of cloth and you cut armholes in a head hole and you put on, that's about what you got. There's no custom fit, JCPenney armory, all right? It's, it's pretty loose and baggy. And so what does this belt do? This prepares you to do battle. What is the belt? Loins girt about with truth. John 17 says, thy word is truth. So God's word is what holds everything together. But keep, keep reading. You go down a little bit farther. Verse number 16, taking the shield of faith. Where does faith come from? You say, well, faith is when God tests us and we do what he tells us to do. I agree, but that's not entirely what the Bible says. Where does faith come from? It comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I found it interesting. We talked about this with the teenagers. If you look at what the shield of faith is supposed to do in verse 16, it doesn't just say it's supposed to protect you from the, from the darts of the wicked one. That's not what it says. It says it will quench the fiery darts. That caught my attention. I did some studying. You know what? Back in Roman times, when they went to go into war, they had little shields and big shields. The little shields are for hand-to-hand combat. We're not there yet. And thank the Lord, we don't have to do hand-to-hand combat with the devil. What the shield is talking about here is a big shield. It's two foot wide, four foot tall, and you can hide behind it. And it's most of the time before they go into battle, they soak that shield down with water. Why? Because in Roman time periods, the best thing to do when you're an archer is to load that arrow up with some kind of pitch or tar and light it on fire and then shoot it. Because when it hits, if it gets somebody, good. If it doesn't, all that tar flies everywhere. But if you have a shield, when the tar hits that wet shield, it doesn't do anything. It fizzles out. Why? 
because it's wet. Now, there's a whole lot of places we could go with the water part of that. The Bible says the water of the Word. We'll leave that one alone for tonight. What's that shield supposed to do? It's supposed to quench. That Bible word quench doesn't necessarily mean to put out. It literally means to make useless the fiery darts of the wicked. You say, if you have the shield of faith, you say, you know what? I know who my God is. I know what he's done, and I know he's called me to do this. I have my shield of faith. And the devil says, are you sure you're supposed to be here? Thunk. God told me to. Are you sure you're supposed to do that? You're supposed to get up and go to church? God told me to. Our faith in God is the shield we protect ourselves. Where does the faith come from? The word of God. Look down a little farther. Verse number 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation. You say, oh, Brother Davies, where is that in the Bible? Well, if you have to ask where salvation is in the Bible, you need to go up to Brother Branson's junior church and learn about the Bible again. All right? When it talks about the helmet of salvation, I want you to think about this. This is going to be a dumb question, but you need to put the dots together. Where does the helmet go on your head? Why would you want to protect your head? Because it's the most valuable part of your body. If you don't have one, you're dead. That's the long and short of it. But how does salvation protect us? See, our brain is the seat of our mind. This is where our thoughts are. And this helmet of salvation can put to rest and protect our thinking. There's no easier way to stop your enemy than to do damage to their head. Where does the devil attack you? Brother John, I haven't had, a devil, I haven't had the devil come up to me and say, Mr. Davis, you know what you should do? You should quit this family and church thing and go run around on everybody. I've never had the devil come tell me that. I've never had the devil say, you know what you should do? You should take up drinking. The devil never says that. You know what he says? Just, just hit the alarm again. It's okay. He says, you know what? You read your Bible this morning. It's okay. God would understand. He doesn't really expect you to pray all day long. Where's he attacking me? Right here. Think about Eve. Where did the devil attack her? The devil didn't say, tell God to go away. No, he said, is that what God said? Did he really say, did he mean that? It's all in this, all in, the battle we face is here. The devil's battleground is right between your ears. So why have we got to put the helmet of salvation on? To protect that battleground. Then keep reading. It's not just the helmet of salvation, but it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now that sword they're talking about is a short sword. It's a, it's a precision instrument designed to go to a specific spot. Why? Because the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 tells us it's a two-edged sword that pierces. It doesn't clobber. It doesn't hack. It's not going to cut you in half. It's going, there's the problem right there. So if we're going to maintain revival, where does it begin? It begins in God's Word. But that's not it. If we're going to maintain revival, it's going to require us living in obedience. You say, now where do you see that in the armor of God? I'm glad you asked. Look back up there in verse number 14. It says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate 
of righteousness. Now let's do some pondering. What's that righteousness referring to? You say, the righteousness of God given to us at salvation. Well, if that's the case, all of us have the breastplate of righteousness on since the point we got saved. And that's not what Ephesians chapter 6 says. It says you've got to put it on. So what is that righteousness? That righteousness is our obedience to God's word and behaving in a manner that pleases the Lord. That righteousness. You say, but sometimes I fail. I know that's why it says we have to put it on. We have to get up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do battle with myself and the devil today, so I need to be prepared. It'd be like some of us leaving the house without our cell phone, right? My cell phone is a blessing and a curse. I love being able to contact people. I love the, the speed and the efficiency of technology. But when we pick a vacation spot, we find a place with no cell phone signal. Amen. Or it'd be like leaving the house without your wallet. You say, I'm going to go to work today. And you decide to go to work, you put your pants on, you put your shirt on. That's close enough. I don't need shoes or a belt or my phone or my wallet or my keys. I'm just going to go to work. You say, what kind of crazy person? A lot of Christians do that every day. You say, well, I read my verse. If you've been saved for longer than a week, you've got to do better than that. We wonder, why haven't we seen God do great things? Go back and study the lives of great men of the Bible, great men of our time. The one that constantly is a rebuke to me, Brother Johnny, is George Mueller. You know, he read his Bible through every six months for over 50 years. You say, why God do things? Oh, I got an idea why God did things for George Mueller. You say, he was a man of prayer. How was he such a man of prayer? He read his Bible through every six months. When he got too old and he couldn't read, he had it read to him. He paid somebody to read the Bible to him two times every year. If we're going to live in obedience, it requires us to sacrifice some things that aren't bad for some things that are really good. If we're going to maintain revival, we have to live in obedience. How do I live in obedience? This is my battle in consistency. Do I do what I'm supposed to do? Well, I messed up today. Then I better get it right now if I expect revival to continue. Well, did I spend enough time in God's Word today? If you're asking yourself to that, spend some more time. Now, I'm not saying, Mrs. Ware, stay home tomorrow from school and just let your kindergarten kids run all over to school. I say, well, Mr. Davies said I'm supposed to read more of God's Word, and so I'm going to stay home and read God's Word all day long. Now, it would be nice if we were able to do that. But most, if not all of us, have a job or something we're supposed to do every day. But all of us spend time doing things that are not essential. The Lord has beat me to death about this, Brother John, in the last week. All the things that I do that are not essential for my job or my life with Christ. I'm not saying you don't need downtime. I'm not saying you don't need time to disconnect. I'm not saying you don't need time to just sit on the porch and ponder things. But I'm saying we have a whole lot of wasted time in our life. And if we expect revival to continue... We got to make a sacrifice somewhere. We have to live in obedience. The breastplate of righteousness. Look at this, the shoes of peace. All right, I kind of abbreviated. That's not what the King James Version says, okay? Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, you can disagree with me if you want, but I'm going to give you both sides of the story, and I think we put them together, we get about where we need to be. 
People say, what are the shoes of the gospel of peace? It says the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what caught my attention. Brother Earl and I had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago. The preparation, the gospel of peace, I know what that is. That's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, why is it shoes? People automatically will jump. Well, it says, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the tidings. Right? So it's got to be given the gospel. But I think we should. I think that's part of obedience to Christ. But these shoes are a foundation. When we came to Christ, Brother Bill, he made peace with us through the blood of his cross. And so the foundation of us living as a Christian in the Christian armor, ready to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, is the fact that we are at peace with God. And we want other people to be at peace with God. See, some people say, oh, no, it's giving the gospel people. Missions. And I agree with that. No, it's the peace we got when we got saved. I agree with that, too. You put them together, what do you have? Somebody who's firmly placed in that God has made peace through the blood of his son with me, and I need to take and tell other people. Say, well, the armor of the Christian is is armor to do defense. No, it's not. It's not. You say, well, the armor is an attacking armor. (laughs) You better hold on to that one. We'll talk about that in a minute. Because that's what I I thought, Brother Morris. Oh, well, he's got a sword. He's supposed to attack. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Well, you need to read the Bible. The shoes, this is the foundation. The foundation of what Christ instructed his church to do, to go to every part of the world to take the gospel. Where does that start? It starts on the foundation that I've made peace with God. Why? Through the blood of his son. And so if I'm going to maintain revival, I have to live in God's word. I have to live in obedience. But this is what caught my attention. I have to live in prayer. The armor of God doesn't end in verse number 17. That's where we stop reading. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's the Christian's armor. You better read the next verse. Where does it go from there? We've been dressed up as a Christian. What are we supposed to do? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. One of the things I've learned in studying God's words, you ought to figure out what the words mean. Some words in the King James English don't mean what we use them for today. But I got good news for you. Perseverance, guess what it means? Perseverance. Sticking it out. What does supplication mean? That one, that one got me. Man, I was, I was studying this this afternoon. <laughs> Remember, we're talking about revival. What's supplication? The word that is used for supplication both times in that verse means penury, being poor, destitute, unable to financially or physically sustain yourself. Now plug that into revival. Where does the Christian armor go into action? It's when we realize, I'm dressed, but I ain't got the power. I don't have what I need, and unless God gives it to me, of all things, I'm most miserable. You see, living in prayer begins when we realize God's got it all. And unless he gives it, what's the point? Now, good news, God loves to give to us just like we love to give to our children. It's not, well, all you have to do is ask. The Bible says we ought to ask. But you know what I found, Brother Bill? Sometimes God doesn't wait for me to ask. He's like, oh, I got something for you. Just because. 
And sometimes I got to ask. And I got to keep asking. Why? That's what he tells me to do. Look what it says. It says we're supposed to be supplication, want, need, being deprived of the daily necessities. But then this word prayer. Sometimes we, we look at prayer, oh, that's just talking to God. And I agree with that. But prayer goes a whole lot deeper than that. Prayer is not just us talking to God. It is the communion of two people that's the foundation of our spiritual walk. And it's not two equals. This word prayer is the same word we use in English as worship. Where does prayer begin when we recognize who we're talking to? Our kids, <laughs> it's a cool thing at our house to pray before meals. That's Everybody wants to do it. And so most of the time, unless people are having bad attitudes, I let them pray. Even the youngest one, she's not in here, Mila, she likes to pray. And she, she thinks it's big stuff. And I'll, I want her to think it's a big deal to pray. Why? Because it is. Now, all she prays God, to, to God is thank you for the food. Thanks for letting us have a good day. Amen. If we're hungry, she prays. We're done. End of the food. The truth of the matter is, though, praying is a big deal. Prayer is the most unused tool in the Christian's toolbox today. Why? Prayer takes time. And our society today drives us forward. It's taken me a lot of years to learn. Sometimes not doing something is the best choice. My wife and I had a discussion yesterday about this. We were getting ready to go to bed last night, and she said, I feel like I didn't do anything today. I said, okay, what'd you do? That's my question. Because I've never, Brother John, I've never seen my wife sitting still. My wife is always doing something. What she means is she didn't get her list accomplished. I've quit keeping a list. I never get it all done. My wife said, well, I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. I said, what did you do? Well, I spent time with this child, and then I did this over here, and then we went over this way together with a family. I said, so you did do something. Sometimes I found I'm better served instead of getting stuff done, spend time with God, spend time with my family, spend time with my children. Why? We've got to learn to slow down to spend time with God. And if I'm the example of God the Father to my children, they better know how important it is. Dad, you got to pray in front of your kids. they got to see you doing that. You say, well, I get up early. Then you better do it when they're awake because they're watching. I remember seeing my dad read his Bible before he went to work. I wasn't saved. I knew I wasn't saved. He knew I wasn't saved, but I saw him doing it. When I started having kids, Brother John, you know what I said? God's help. I want him to see Dad praying. Dad reading his Bible. Dad enjoying church. Dad having a good time with Christians. Why? They've got to learn to live in prayer. They're not going to learn it from their friends. They're not going to learn it from the TV shows they watch or the stuff that they do in their spare time. What do we got? We've got to show them how to do it. 
So how do we have to live in prayer? Look at what it says in verse number 18, and we're done. Praying always. This prayer is supposed to be continuous. We're praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That means there's going to be times where we don't have words, but the Spirit does. And then look what it says, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. So we're supposed to be praying continually through the Spirit, watching to see what's going to happen, and continuing to be faithful to do it. Why? For all saints. We spend Wednesdays praying here in church. It's a big deal to come together. But you know what I find myself doing, Brother Branson? I'll come to church and it's been a busy day. And I'll, oh, yeah, tonight's prayer service. I better stop and get things right before I go in the auditorium. I've already handicapped myself. I found, I found the, the victory for me with the Christian's armor is to be sensitive to when I mess up. And God says, he doesn't have to say, hey, he just gives me the look. Lord, you're right. I need forgive me. I, lo- I learned. I learned at a really young age. Our pastor growing up, he had to look, and he was preaching. He could be preaching and look at one of his kids, and you could just tell something just happened. Nobody said anything, and all of a sudden, I've I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to train my kids. It doesn't work nearly as good as I hope it would. But you know what I found. When my heart is in tune with Christ, it doesn't take, hey, it doesn't take, oh, it's a look. It's that look that Jesus gave to Peter. Not I'm upset, I'm disappointed. We have the power through Christ to be victorious. What is revival? It's being victorious as a Christian consistently. And so if we're going to maintain revival... We have to live in God's word. We have to live in obedience. We have to live in prayer. So what? This is what I had to ask myself, Brother Johnny. What in my life right now is stopping revival from moving forward? What is it? He showed me something. It wasn't anything big. It wasn't a sin. But it's something he said, how valuable is your time? Maybe it's something you hold on to. God, I want revival. If he doesn't have all of you, he doesn't have any of you. I want revival. I want revival to continue. Our church needs revival. Our nation Needs revival, but it's not going to happen on the news. It's not going to happen. Well, we're just going to put it on Facebook. People are going to get it. No, it's got to start in my heart. It's got to start in your heart. We got to say, hey, whatever it takes, that's what I'll be willing to do.